Welcome to the EDGE Conservation Podcast. We bring you the latest in innovation, insight, and effort on the front lines of wildlife conservation in Africa and around the world. I'm your host, Kira Dorian. Today, we're taking you to Traverse City, Michigan, to talk with Chris Treeter, who is the founder of Higher Grounds Coffee Company and their sister nonprofit, On the Ground. Higher Grounds believes in a human-centric approach to trade that promotes people and the planet as a means to create sustainable livelihood. Chris, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Kara. It's great to be on the show. Yes, I am so excited to talk with you because I am a huge coffee lover and coffee drinker, and I'm based here in Seattle, which, as you know, is an enormous coffee town. Um, So I would love to just start by asking you how you started Higher Grounds. Just tell us how that how that came to be. Yeah, Higher Grounds was started in 2002 when I was working and living in southern Mexico with um, doing human rights work around indigenous peoples and Mayan people who had been victims of a massacre uh, while they were praying and fasting for peace um, in Chiapas, Mexico. Wow. And so what? how did that experience then lead you to starting this coffee company? When I was in graduate school for organizational management for social change, um, I wanted to work in something that I could do good in but also be able to be caring for the people that uh, that business would be involved with, um, be it the planet or the people around it or the supply chain. And so I did a lot of research and I did some graduate research studies on uh, conservation in Latin America. I'd also learned about the impact of global economics on indigenous rights. And I was really inspired by the Zapatista movement that started on January 1st, 1994, when Zapatistas rose up against the Mexican government the day that NAFTA went into effect and largely became a peaceful movement um, all the way up until this day that's really inspired people around the world struggling for change that preserves local communities, cultures, and conserves the environment. Hmm. Wow. And so why is coffee then an important industry in global conservation? Like, what's the link there? Well, coffee, there's a few different links. Um, The first one that I learned about a long time ago when bird-friendly coffee was very popular when I started Higher Grounds is that coffee, uh, diversified coffee fields are the second most biodiverse uh, areas of Latin America to preserved and conserved rainforest or tropical forest. So coffee fields, when grown the right way, have a multitude of different species of trees under crop. Um, Soil, when it's grown organically is extremely rich and there's farming methods that are intercropping many different things around uh, the coffee fields in order for a farmer to be able to have a good livelihood not only for the food that they're eating but for the well-being of their family um, by the the crops that are around them and the use of organic methods Um, but another way that coffee and conservation really intersect is that many places around the world, as you all are very aware of, are impoverished areas where some of the most biodiverse areas are left on earth. Um, So I work a lot in Ethiopia and the Congo in Africa. And one of the things that I've seen firsthand is the impact of poverty on conservation. And many times in conservation, um, the, the old school method 
now I'm a novice at the history of conservation methods, but what I can see is the old school method of conserving wildlife and an area of land is the gated approach, which is to keep the poachers and keep the people from encroaching on the land as the primary means to be able to conserve the livelihood. And many times that takes a strategy of force as the primary method. Whereas when we look at conserving the environment through commercializing the crops and the um, assets to a community that is around a national park, we are actually able to help support the process of alleviating poverty while conserving the environment around the value chain or supply chain through which you're interacting. Wow. So are those the bulk of your efforts? You know, is it is it really about going into the Congo, for example, and trying to make use of the crops there as a means of both helping the community there and, of course, bringing this wonderful product over to us? Yeah, I think, you know, the work that uh, I'm so lucky to be a part of in many parts of the world, but specifically in the Congo right now, is really the most exciting thing that I've ever been involved in in the 16 years of working in the coffee industry. And something that I've really learned over the last five years is that in order to call a value chain, it's today, you know, in all the like impact funding speak, they say a value chain for a supply chain. And I don't really quite get it because it's not valuable to the people in the other end of the world right. that you're buying something from. Like in coffee, they're, st- they're still, well, excuse my language, but they're still screwed while we're sitting up here yeah. enjoying our lattes and mochas and talking about the value chain we're a part of. And I say that including myself um, because anybody in coffee that lives in the U.S. or Europe can speak of what they're doing with a con- uh, producing group um, has to take into account the privilege and the opportunity they have to make money off of people who are really hurting and struggling. So what I started Higher Grounds as an experiment, and I'll end Higher Grounds as an experiment, be it a successful experiment or otherwise, by intersecting all of the main threads of what it means to be a sustainable community into our supply chain um, when possible. And so for conservation in the Congo, there's never been a more clear understanding of the need to create an intersection of conservation, um, conflict, and coffee as the means to bring peace and prosperity around Virunga National Park and also some of the other parks that are there. So tell me then, what does that look like? So you go over there, what are the efforts that you're making and what does it actually look like to intersect those things, to bring them together? The intersection of conservation and coffee is a very default thing to really manifest in a meaningful way because it's something that is just starting out. It isn't a conventional trading um, mechanism or model that exists in the coffee industry, although there is a huge intersection between coffee-growing communities around the perimeters of many of the most biodiverse and important uh, areas of the world that we are conserving as a human population. In the Congo, there's nearly 6 million people who have died in the last uh, 25 years due to conflict. And Virunga National Park, who we are partnering with with our Kawakunzuru coffee, is 
the second oldest national park in the world, home to nearly half of the thousand mountain gorillas left on earth, and currently at the epicenter of not only an ongoing conflict, but also now a huge outbreak of Ebola. So there is a huge issue that's trend, that's taking place in the park. Um, there's a crisis taking place. Uh, I think about a dozen rangers have been killed in the last year, including a ranger that I was lucky enough to have known and met. And they've closed down the park um, until the beginning of next year in order to make sure that it's secured. So in order to commercialize coffee around that park, requires a vast understanding of the communities, the people, the actors, the dangers, and relying on collaborations rather than competition in order to both commercialize the product, but also to gain a market share for that product. That is, for me, the most important work that I've ever done in coffee. Hmm. And what are you seeing as a result? I mean, are you starting to see the difference yet? Well, we just um, we just commercialized one container of coffee, which is a forty thousand pounds this last harvest, and we'll be doing the same again this year. It was the first container that was imported into the U.S. and has the name of the pro- the co-op and the community on it. We're just starting a canned cold brew that has that product on it, and I, I need to also mention that this partnership with Barunga is. Um, providing uh, half the cost, half the expense, the financing, and also we're sharing half the profit. So it's a true partnership in the sense that Higher Grounds isn't just giving some revenue to the park as we see fit, but rather we've developed this model together. So this is a long-term project that hopefully will transcend Higher Grounds. So if anyone listening is part of a coffee company or knows contacts at a coffee company that you think would be interested in also importing coffee from the Congo and helping these conservation efforts, please let us know. Um, there's 4 million inhabitants around the park, and that uh, represents a lot of coffee that currently isn't commercialized. So this is something that transcends one brand or one coffee company or one movement. It means creating a new way of trading that incorporates the needs of the communities and the environment into a supply chain that can actually be valued by all. So I know that uh, education was a big factor in all of this, trying to bring schools into those communities. How How is that going? And is that a part of what we're talking about here, that when we buy Higher Grounds Coffee, for example, that we are participating in bringing schools and education to these local communities? Yes, Higher Grounds truly believes that um, in order to sustain communities, we have to be able to care for the building blocks of any sustainable or healthy community, which includes access to water, health care, education, uh, as the baseline for any humans on earth to be able to care for themselves or their community. So um, in partnership with other coffee companies and through our nonprofit on the ground that we founded and now have four other coffee companies on the board as well, we've built schools in Ethiopia, water systems in Mexico. We're currently doing education or um, community schools for agriculture 
in Chiapas, Mexico, where Higher Grounds was founded, and also in the Congo, where we're buying coffee for women um, to learn uh, financial literacy and also learning how to read and write so that they can be active participants in their own community. Um, And all of the projects that we do are informed by the communities where we work. So in the Congo, uh, issues around gender are a huge focus due to the use of sexual aggression as a tool for war in a conflict that's raged on. And New York Times in the past has called it the rape capital of the world, and the UN deemed it the most dangerous place in the world to be a woman. So these gender equality trainings and education are extremely important because what you find is not only are a lot of the men have passed away um, due to war and conflict or trying to smuggle their coffee to Rwanda across the lake because there's no market in the Congo, but you have a whole generation of women that haven't had access to education. So one of them described to me something quite remarkable for me to wrap my head around it because, you know, you know, white male from Michigan traveling to meet these remarkable people and getting to know it. You have a you have a book knowledge of why gender equality or why education for poor communities is important. But it really took this uh, individual who was taking one of the classes that I visited that we funded to say, when I go to the market to sell my tomatoes or my cassava, you know, twenty minute walk down the road. If I have to use the bathroom or if I need to go to the bank, I have no idea of figuring out where they are because I can't read anything. And that really blew my mind. Uh, the, the necessity of literacy for largely females, and females do 70% of the agricultural work around the world, but really receive only about 25% of the income from that agricultural work because the males who are literate are the ones charged with taking care of that, that money, are the ones that are taking that money when they go to the market and utilizing it on behalf of the family because the female many times of the world do not cannot be empowered without that education to be able to take control of their own finances for the well-being of their family and children. Wow. I mean, no wonder you feel like this is the most important work you've done. That's incredible how coffee can touch all of that in one go. That's amazing. So tell me, what what are some of the challenges that you faced? I mean, you're in the Congo, right? So yeah. give me a sense of what you're up against when you're there. Uh, there, You know, there comes all kinds of different challenges from security concerns to getting visas to outbreaks of disease um, to lack of running water, sanitation, to illegal roadblocks corruption. But I'd say the biggest challenge really is the international community's inability to fully collaborate beyond their own means and perceived needs to make their funders happy. Hmm. That is the biggest issue in the roadblock of conserving the environment or preserving the well-being of humanity around the globe comes down to individual interests for those that have access to the funds that make a difference. And what we see too often is too many uh, white people sitting behind computers never going out into the field, even though they might be in the main city, talking about and determining acts 
that need to take place with the funding they have access to, which ends up many times being half of the overall budget of a million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. It's actually going to create impact in a community. So the biggest challenge is creating change in order to overcome those barriers and staying dedicated to a collaborative environment, but being able to competitively beat back the self-interest when it arises. And for some reason, I've had a a good uh, Machiavellian um, tendency <laughs> when I sense that <laughs> to uh, to try to change the things. Well, and the irony is you don't you don't you don't survive in that environment very long. Right. It, it, people are eaten up very quickly. Well, and the irony is that these people behind a computer probably have a cup of coffee in their hand. They do, yeah. And many times they're the ones making the decisions of what happens with that coffee. Right, exactly. Be it a quality cup of coffee or a conventional cup that ends up getting a small amount of money per pound that ends up to the grower. So the quality of their cup, they are also determined yeah. without any knowledge of the coffee industry or the consumer patterns. Hmm. So how do you then balance being a for-profit company and your nonprofit work? And why do those things go hand in hand? Higher Grounds is a for-profit social enterprise. And we chose to be so rather than a nonprofit because we believe it important to drive economic change in a model that is self-sustaining and not relying on outside funds or donations in order to create that change. So by being a for-profit enterprise, I can always look toward the horizon and steer the ship in the direction that is true to the reason where we were, why we were founded, which was to work toward ending inequality and providing a community well-being um, for all those that are a cup of coffee touch. And if I was a nonprofit organization, I'm beholden to a funder uh, that usually is always driving where the organization needs to go, especially when you're working in a multitude of countries with different issues that are complex. Well, and I also, I saw you interviewed and you said something about how important it was to be a responsible for-profit company. You know, I think that most people, they think of nonprofit as doing good and profit as like mm, thinking about their bottom line. And it was really interesting to hear it put that way. Like, actually, we can have for-profit organizations that do good and are responsible. Doing good is the responsibility of any business. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, what service or product you're pitching or selling or reselling. Um, you're impacting the people around you, be it just your employees or be it uh, the environment. And it is so crucial for everybody to recognize that because at the end of the day, Every day, all of us in the United States, Europe, or anywhere in the world are voting with our wallets. The dollar bill is a continuous uh, representation of what we value or don't value. And if we choose to ignore that statement that our dollar bill is a representation of what we value or don't value, you're simply not valuing the people around you and the environment. And for me as a business owner, it is extremely crucial that if I'm in, going to be in the business of being an entrepreneur, be it a social entrepreneur, if I don't stay true to the belief that we can create change through business, I'm wasting my time, energy, and the hardship that it brings along to my family and friends to attempt to do something like that. 
So I heard that you're speaking to Concordia this week. Tell me what you're going to be speaking about. Yeah, I'm really excited and honored to be able to participate in the Concordia conference uh, in New York City that is taking place at the same time as the UN General Assembly. It's the largest convergence um, taking place alongside the UN General Assembly. And we are going to be talking about our partnership with the U.S. State Department and the Polis Center for Economic and Social Development in order to integrate victims of conflict into the value chain in the Congo. Our Lake Kivu Coffee Alliance is a finalist in the P3 Impact Awards. Um, so as such, we'll be participating in roundtable discussions about the work that we are doing and also be doing a pitch in front of the judges um, in order to help them decide who is the winner of the award. That's fantastic. Good luck. Thank you. So uh, two, two final questions for you. The first one is, how can, how can we help? How can the listeners of this podcast, how can I personally help you in your efforts to make this just remarkable change all over the globe? There's a number of ways you can help. And one is look around to your own backyard and what are the environmental struggles taking place in your own community? And is there any organizations, for-profit or nonprofit, that are doing great work and contribute to those nonprofits that are preserving your natural environment? And also vote with your dollar. Find organizations and companies that have products that are going the extra mile to ensure to the best of their ability that the change that they are making is through the commercialization of a product that you are consuming. Um, another way is to look internationally at organizations like EDGE, like Virunga National Park, like um, B Corporations, like Higher Grounds, in order to be able to support those organizations that are helping conserve the environment and conserve the people and places that we value so dear in our lives as humans. That's wonderful. Thank you. So one final question. This is going to seem super cheesy, but I'm curious. How do you take your coffee? Well, I take it black because once I was working in a mental health center and I asked for sugar and the woman next to me said, I'm sweet enough and I don't need it. (laughs) (laughs) But I do take it black though. And sometimes I do have cream in it. I was going to ask, do you like secretly love a white chocolate mocha or <laughs> is it always black or with a little cream? I was just talking to a dear friend of mine who uh, I was telling him we just started canned cold brew and it's about to launch. And he was the first person I told about it. And he really encouraged me. And he told me that he loves driving home late night from the airport in Detroit, which is a four-hour drive, and having a mocha frappuccino Starbucks <laughs> kind of canned beverage. And I looked at him and said, so do I. Ah, so I love it. Sometimes I do enjoy that kind of thing, but I really, on a day-to-day basis, just like black coffee. Just like take it black. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Good luck at Concordia. I hope that goes really well. And we just really look forward to seeing what else Higher Grounds and On the Ground is doing. Well, thank you so much for all your time and all the great work that you guys are a part of and promoting out there on the airwaves. Thank you for listening to the Edge Conservation Podcast, where we hear from the greatest stewards in wildlife conservation. I'd like to finish with a quote by Alexander von Humboldt. The most dangerous worldview 
is the worldview of those who have not viewed the world. As Chris and I talked about today, so often we sip on our cup of coffee and we don't think about the communities and the people and the families that are behind that cup of coffee who don't have the luxury of clean water or education, let alone their wonderful cup of coffee in the morning. Join us next week for more. Our podcast is produced by Eric Johnson, me, Kira Dorian, and Edge. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, give us that five-star rating, write us a review, tell your friends and family, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. It's incredible how the word of mouth and the reviews of our listeners really are the key to a successful podcast. So if you like what you're hearing, give us that five-star rating and we can bring you more of it. Thanks for listening.